Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. Hard to Tell podcast episode 143 and we are still here still quarantining still doing the Skype thing socially distant uh bringing you new content as always and we have a good friend of the podcast a good friend in general uh he's one of the few people I've actually seen during this uh pandemic <laughs> in person um and hung out with for a little bit uh Michael Grady uh, reporter for the Yes Network. You see him on the sidelines doing his thing with the Brooklyn Nets. Mike, what's up, man? Hey, good to be on with you guys once again. Dex, Brian, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, man. Sure. Yeah, man. Good to good to see you. Um, glad everything is well. Uh, before we got on here, Mike, we were talking a little bit how busy you were. Uh, every <laughs> other day with the NBA playoffs going on. Uh, obviously, you doing uh stuff with the Brooklyn Nets. I wanted to ask you because I talked to you about this last time we saw each other. Um. How how was it? Because you knew we knew it was going to be remote in how you did the coverage, right? So how was it? You're used to being in the games, the sideline, but now it's remote and it's a whole different thing. So watching you guys do it, what was it like doing it remotely? Uh, it was kind of it was kind of surreal, man. It's like you, you we're used to the media scrums and sticking your hand in there, the microphone, and having a conversation that way. Um, you may catch a player in the hallway, say a couple words to him real quick. You may hang around the locker room, whatever it may be. So for everything to be via Zoom, and I didn't know what Zoom was in March. And we've been, yeah, we've been, <laughs> we, we've been Zooming our tails off, man. So <laughs> like to not, know what it, to not know what it was to that's now life, where press conferences, shoot-arounds, all the interviews go that way. And then we did all the broadcasts from an empty Barclays Center, which was, again, it was like a skeleton of itself. And here we are announcing and doing playoff games. And I'm sitting in the arena that should be packed, that should have people on their feet going crazy, and I can hear my echo. So it was, it was like real surreal to have that experience, and I, and I hope it's something that, that I never experienced. <laughs> Grady's like, nah, we don't, we don't, we don't need, we don't need to do that again. <laughs> but, can, but can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Just doing the broadcast from in the arena where obviously the game's supposed to be going on and, you know, we're seeing pictures and it's like you, Ian Eagle, and Sarah and you're all six feet apart. You know what I mean? You have your headsets on, you're on the court, and it's like we're broadcasting the game, but we're not there. Like, yeah. like just it's the a, experience of all that. It's like a different feel, especially from an energy standpoint. So um, given you know, Ian and Ryan's schedule, I ended up doing play-by-play for two of the games and to create your own energy. So you're just in a room, basically. It's, you know, myself and there's Sarah right there, maybe Ryan and Sarah, Ian and Sarah. And you just have the television screen. You can hear the sounds and the squeaks of the sneakers and the ball going through the hoop and the 2K audio or whatever maybe. But it's different when the when you can feel the electricity of the arena behind you, whether you're at home or whether you're on the road, and that's fueling your energy for the broadcast when there's a spectacular dunk, a big three-pointer, or a big play in crucial moments. Like, imagine what that Luka moment the other night would have been like Sorry. had that been at American Airlines. Like, that's, I mean, the roof would have blown off. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, to... Call that play, you know, the announcers who called that play or the games that we called, and to do it in a room where it's just you and the other person, it's just, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it messes with, you know, messes, you just have to mentally go there. You have to just mentally imagine, you know, um, and put yourself in the shoes of the people who are watching at home. 
And so we, you know, as you guys know, we have a great, you know, amazing TV crew, staff, top to bottom, behind the scenes, all of that. And we try to make it look as seamless as possible. But it's uh, it was it was it was crazy for real. It was crazy. Yeah, and look, <laughs> you, it might, lo- you might have to start next season like that too. I hope not. Yeah, hope not. Yeah, yeah, not gonna work, man. We, we ain't trying to do that again. <laughs> yeah, it it looked crazy from the pictures, Mike. Like at any time I saw you posting the pictures of just where you or Sarah would be distanced from each other, or when the three of you guys were together, or Ian was doing it with, with it was just like. Yeah. That's just and for both Brian and I have done this. So both Brian and I know doing play by playing color and I've also done sideline as you know, Mike. It's yeah. that's just a weird vibe. Did you also miss in terms of like sideline reporting, did you miss being able to get the information from the team and you know, kind of delivering it, you know, on the broadcast as you would? It's not the same thing, you know, when you're doing this remote as well. Yeah, and it's like um, you know, you miss that because it gives you little nuggets that you can use in the broadcast, of course. And so now you have to do it through a different means, whether it be, you know, a text here or a DM there, that type of thing. But it's not the same as this this guy's just shooting, finished shooting around. He's running off the court. Hey, yo, let me rap with you real quick. Let me just get a couple words with you real fast. So it's like that stuff you miss and just the connections, you know, period. You know, the staff there at, you know, Barclays Center, um, just walking through and just dapping it up with, you yeah, know, yeah. security, the, ush- the amazing ushers and, just everybody there that has a role in making that building that building. And uh, every time you go in there and, you, you know, you get your temperature scan, you answer a couple of questions, no, I haven't been around, I haven't traveled, all. then you go in, it just felt completely, completely different. So um, it was uh, it was just really bananas going through that. And with the NFL, we're getting started. You know, I've been doing stuff with CBS. We're not even allowed on the sidelines anymore. We're going to have yeah. a visit designated area can't even be on the field mascots cheerleaders can't even be on the field so football is going to be you know completely different once that gets rolling around too okay so so two two follow-ups there one just could you expand on the actual testing portion of it like when you're going into the arena and you have to go through you know the new protocol that seemingly all these arenas are going to have for talent etc people working there whatever and then the football stuff because you know that's coming up and there's still a lot kind of in the air about what they're actually doing about this, at least as it pertains to people on the outside. So could you just elaborate on what you know about that process? And what that's Yeah, going to be? and, and the, the football side is evolving, and the football season is going to be coinciding with all of these efforts to get a, a vaccine rolled out. There are certain um, cities where COVID isn't being hit as hard, and they're going to have some fans in the stands. That's not going to affect what we do from a broadcast standpoint. I still wouldn't be allowed on the field or whatnot. But right. Miami, for example, announced they're going to have 13,000 people in the stands. Nobody's going to be at MetLife. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to have a completely different Miami, vibe. huh? Um, yeah, right? Yeah, that's what Yo, I'm saying. You know what I mean? like, wild. Wait, so Miami's going to have people in the stands, but New York, MetLife, you can't? You can't. All right. I, I would say to ask you to make it make sense to me, Mike, but I know that that's, that's not your job to do. <laughs> like, there's no way. So um, uh, the, the NFL stuff is still evolving, but there's going to be a protocol in terms of the nasal testing, you know, before, you know, you, you, you know, you need a negative test. And then when you get on site for the games, you have to get there at a certain time. And go through a whole bunch of screening processes as far as that's concerned, too. And with the NFL, you probably will get to a city on a Thursday. And it's the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, Sunday type situation. Um, and typically, you know, you would ha- gather and meet with people, meet with players and different things like that. You may have a team dinner, you know, the, the broadcast team dinner and different things like that. It's really, I mean, the meetings and all that type of stuff will still take place, but there's going to be a lot of isolation. And there's going to be a lot of, you know, you may get in a car with, you know, four people on the staff, producers, behind the scenes guys may crash and carpool, maybe two to a car. It's like everything, you know, going out to eat, different, you can't go out to eat anymore. It's, um, they're, they're taking a, a very cautious approach, but a very smart approach. And it's going to be very different from what I experienced last year, which was my first year with it. Yeah, I mean, how are you feeling about that, Mike? Because it is very different, I'm, and the travel and everything involved in it right. too. Um, like, h- how are you feeling? Because I haven't been really traveling for work lately. But how do you feel about all that going I'm back? Happy, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be working, fam. I'm ha- I'm happy and like thankful to yeah. to be working, and um, and you know, we've been like bottled up and haven't really been doing anything, and 
haven't really been going places. The furthest I've gone, I went to, you know, Bristol, Connecticut, not Bristol, I went to Stanford, Connecticut to do a Liberty broadcast, again, calling it off the, t- you know, television. I've been to Brooklyn. But other than that, I really hadn't gone anywhere. I did like a little camping trip. So that I, I, I miss getting on a plane. I miss going places. I understand the restrictions and I, and I take, you know, what's going on extremely seriously. Um, but to have an opportunity to go and, and have a sense of normalcy, even though it's there's nothing normal, <laughs> right? How new everything is, um, you know. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it, man. I'm just, I'm just like really like hopeful that um, things will get back to normal. That a vaccine will be rolled out. We can get fans in the stands. We can save lives. We can, you know, uh, return to return to normal. And uh, so. So I can't really, it's so different. I can't really complain about it though. It's so different, but, um, but I'm just happy to be, <laughs> happy to be doing it. It's, I'm not a sideline reporter anymore. I'm a booth reporter. A booth reporter. I, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna touch the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's gonna be the new name, booth, booth reporter. Booth it's, reporter. <laughs> it's gonna be like, and I'm really intrigued to watch you and other people do it. And even myself, as I get back into doing it, just like how we're going to navigate to doing it without being on the sidelines. And like you said, Mike, getting that information, that stuff is going to be really interesting to watch. Um, yeah. But let's move, let's move on to the NBA and, and specifically the Nets team, the team you cover. Um, I think a lot of people looked at this season. This season was kind of a wash, right? It's kind of like, well, whatever happened with the Nets because of the injuries to Kevin Durant and then Kyrie. Um, and they had a lot going on going into this bubble. Obviously, Kenny Atkinson, uh, you know, moving on and now Jacques Vaughn here. And, you know, it was kind of like, well, what can we see the Nets do in this bubble? The Nets, if you look at them in the, the bubble, the seeding games, they showed up pretty well. They played pretty hard, in my opinion, right? And I know they got swept by, by the Raptors. Uh, season was over. The Raptors are a great team, obviously. What is you, when you look at the whole Nets performance here um, from, you know, post-COVID, what do you look at their performance and how do you judge that? And how should there be excitement from the Nets fan base going into next season, whenever that is? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, for for sure, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on the horizon, there's like so much to be excited about. And putting this season into perspective and what we saw from the Nets team since the restart, you know, even if you weren't really like an avid Nets follower, to see that group go five and three with all the guys who weren't in Orlando, I mean, the guys who weren't in Orlando and competing, if you even add Joe Harris who missed the last two games, unfortunately, because of a loss in the family. Like, they had a squad who could have won the East that didn't show up in Orlando for the Nets, you know? So the guys that were there are a lot of guys who are fighting for their NBA career, that are fighting for an opportunity to stick with this Nets squad in the future. Some of them will have a shot. Some of them won't. But that group of guys came together, and they competed at a high level, which is more than you can say for other teams, you know, that went down there. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it could easily just go, let's get these eight, let's get these games over with, let's go home. You know, we ain't got this guy, we ain't got that guy. But they went out there and said, no, nah, we're going to compete, we're going to fight hard, we're going to play hard for Coach Vaughn. Vaughn was doing his best and coaching his tail off because he obviously wants an opportunity to continue to coach this basketball team given how bright the future is. And so I have a lot of respect, man. I, I like guys who just go out there and work and just go out there and compete and not just kind of have that. Last time we had you in March, we talked a little bit about the rumors that were going around, around at that time because that was right after Kenny Atkinson uh, parted ways with the team. Jock Vaughn became the head coach. We talked about Greg Popovich and that possibility. Those are starting to come back up. Uh, what do you think about like that potential pairing? Is there any uh, credence to it beyond what we're hearing? And is that something that is feasible in you know next season? Yeah, whether the, you know whether there's legs to it, you know or not, um, given Sean Marks' connection to Popovich, you know it would make sense. Um, Popovich has done some incredible things. He's had a, a Hall of Fame career for sure, right, with the Spurs, right? And if we just you know take my title away and we're just having a conversation, he's accomplished so much in San Antonio, right? And he's a competitor. And, of course, get the gang back together. Let's see how far we can push this thing with San Antonio. But, bruh, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Mavericks, the Golden State Warriors, the Utah Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, the Portland Trailblazers, damn. Like, that, <laughs> that's the West, bruh. 
Yeah. So, and he has been grooming, you know, some people who clearly could take things over. Wouldn't it be amazing if Becky Hammond got an opportunity? Oh, honestly, I'd love know, to see that for an opportunity to get that particular job or, 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 you know, that would be, you know, amazing. So he's accomplished a ton with San Antonio. If he's going to coach for a few more years, you know, and Brooklyn appeal to him, you could understand why they would want to have those conversations. You go to the East, you have a squad that could win the East right away. Again, not that Popovich needs to chase a ring given his... Right incredible record but how cool would that opportunity be with sean marks you know um uh and with kevin durant and and kyrie Irving and guys that he has coached and has a great deal of respect for with the olympics and different things like that of course people are going to put two and two together it's interesting you know with jacques vaughn given his relationship with popovich stay on staff there's a lot of there's a lot of working parts there and also, and this is the last thing that, that you know, um, last point I'll make on it. Given Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, these dudes just want to hoop. You know, um, speaking out on social issues, that type of thing, you know, and then also at the end of the day, those guys want to play ball. Yeah. The BS, the criticism, the, the Kevin is too sensitive, or Kevin can't do this, or Kyrie you said the wrong thing, or he did this wrong, or whatever. All this noise, Kevin, Kyrie, they just want to hoop. Who is a better shut the bleep up and let's just play basketball coach in the league mm. than Greg Popovich? Mm. It's the, who's a better guy yeah. than if someone goes, hey, Kevin didn't do this tonight. Shut up. Next question. Yeah. Like, who's yeah. a better yeah. guy? <laughs> it's a good point. To deflect and take those daggers, you know, willingly and then throw them back. Greg Popovich. See, I hope, I yeah. hope by that time, because one, I think it's actually going to happen. I'll just put that out there. Two, I think that, well, I hope that by that time we have a vaccine so that you could actually been, be in his face asking him some of these questions just to see how that dynamic is between you two, because I think that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Well, I think yeah. I, I think the point Mike makes is great is that Pop throws those daggers back, right? He's not going to be the one that's not afraid to, to say it back and say, no, we're focused on basketball. And we don't mean yeah. that in like Pop dissing the media, just he's going to come back and be like, this the focus is on basketball here, right? And this is what it should be. And so I think that makes him a, a great choice. In terms of players that played uh, Grady, Karis LeVert looked really good in the bubble, man. He really showed up. I think a lot of people remember the, the last game of the season against Portland and how good he was in that game. There's been a lot of talk, and you and I have talked about this before. All right, the talk around the Nets is, should they keep Karis LeVert? Is he the perfect third star? Should they trade for somebody else? I think he's made a case for, like, maybe yeah. this is why you should keep him. You like to see the outside shooting get a little bit better. But how impressed were you with, with how he played? And, and, and do you think the Nets need to get another third star? Or, or is the, the guy on the team already? Yeah, good question. And, and before I get to that, I'm going to say this about Jock. I thought um, uh, what I was saying about Pop is not necessarily an endorsement of Pop. It's just like a conversation that people are having, taking the hat off. And, okay, well, here's – let me just join the conversation on Pop on why it could make sense. Yeah. And, and I don't want to leave that without saying this about Jacques Vaughn and the job that he did, not only coaching the guys from a basketball standpoint, but as men also – with everything that's going on in the world, with, with, with the conversation about racial equality and social injustices and things like that, and for him to take the group that he had, you know, and he thought he would have an entirely different group, right, yeah. when he started. But to take the group that he had, get them competing at a high level, getting them on the same page, introducing some new concepts and keeping things simple because there's so many new faces, right, and getting them to compete at a high level, inspiring them to play at a high level, while also taking time to show them um, videos of John Lewis, to have conversations about why voting is so important, and all these things. Like, that's very difficult to balance, and I just want to give him a ton of credit. And if he ends up being the guy, I have no doubt that he is going to be fantastic in that role. I have no inkling or feeling or, you know, one way or another. I just know that... Vaughn, Coach Vaughn did his damn thing there yeah. in Orlando when people had the slimmest of expectations for the Nets. Um, as far as Karras is concerned, man, you know, I've really enjoyed 
watching his maturation over the course of his career. And as a one, he's always been a hard worker. Yep. And then now you're slowly but surely finding your voice at the same time. You're understanding how to be a leader. You are comfortable putting like the team on your back and demanding the ball. Like some, you know, certain teams, the ball kind of, you know, finds a guy and he gets into a groove and the ball right. kind of, you know, whatever it may be. Like, no, it's like demanding the ball. And then he was yeah. playing point guard, which made it easier for him to get into his groove. And so he, you know, guys like that, when they're in that role for the first time, I look at TJ Warren at Indiana, you know, he went on a hot little streak. And then you get to the postseason. It's his first postseason. And you got Jimmy Butler dinging you up and a great defensive head coach in Eric Spolstra and guys that are double teaming or you throw an extra body at him here or there if, if Jimmy Butler isn't, you know, left alone to defend the guy. Yeah. He's getting attention for the first time that he hadn't seen before. And he's getting it in a seven-game series. Well, maybe a four-game series. <laughs> right. Like, so over the course of the series, he's getting this type of attention. And Miami, like, is Victor Oladipo going to eat us up? He's still working his way back from injury. Yeah, he's not Miles, Victor is Miles, Oladipo. Yeah, is yeah. Miles Turner going to eat us up? No. No. And Sabonis isn't there. So they need to direct all of their attention on T.J. Warren. So when yeah. people go, man, T.J. garbage now. T.J. TJ ain't doing nothing now. He's experiencing all this for the first time. Right. You know? The same thing with same thing with Karis LeVert. He's on a squad right now where there, there really isn't another guy that can take attention away from him. And he still, he had his rough shooting nights, and then he had nights where he kind of figured it out and still did his thing. And I think that that's, that's special. And he mentioned in his press conference, you know, um, after game four, moving forward, you can't just zone in on Correct. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? You can't just like, oh, we got we to gotta do this to take care of LeVert away, you know? Like, right. he's a guy he's a guy that he's proven that you kind of need to double unless you have a Kawhi or a, like a just a tremendous defensive player you may need to double team that dude and if Karras is on the court with Kyrie here and Kevin Durant here and maybe Dinwiddie too maybe Dinwiddie yeah. out there on the court too mm-hmm. that's tough man that's that's yeah. tough so he's going to get a lot of good looks and then I would agree with what you what you're saying about you know for them to be able to play on the court at the same time, you know, consistently, Karras' jump shot, you know, will need to take another big step yeah, forward. Yeah. And he, he, I mean, he knows, he knows that, you know, we all He's going to work at it, yeah. So, yeah, just continue to work at it. And he's improved just about every facet of his game. And I don't have any doubt that he can improve that area, too. But that needs to be his focus. And we were talking about this on the postgame show that I think right now the best role for him is coming off the bench. He comes in with that second unit, primary ball handler, ball dominant kind of guy, great passer. Like he can really spearhead that second unit because on the court with Kevin Durant, who we've seen Kevin Durant bring the ball up, be a point forward, get the offense initiated and do his thing. And of course, Kyrie Irving is the point guard. You know, to have three kind of ball dominant guys may not make the most sense in the starting lineup. So you could have Karis spearhead that that uh, that second unit. And then that question that you had, Dexter, about mm-hmm. do you need another guy? Do you want another, you know, do you, do you, could, would you like to make a move to bring in another guy? You know, that's a, that's a fair question as to whether or not should it be a star or another, like, really solid veteran, like a Serge Ibaka type who had a monster game for the Raptors off the bench yesterday. You know, there's a number of different ways they can go. Yeah, I think, yeah. There's a, I think there's a lot of ways they can go. I think the Nets, in my opinion, I feel like they should just be patient on it. You know, I don't think... You have to go make a move in the offseason. I think you can let see how this team plays at the beginning of next season, whatever that is, guys. We don't know. Um, but I think I think you can you can wait and see on what they do. You talked about guys fighting for the NBA lives, uh, Brady. You talked about that. Some there were some really impressive guys on the Nets playing that you were like, okay, where are these guys from? TLC, who I really like. I think the Nets have a player in him. Uh, who did you really like out of those those group of guys that were fighting for the NBA lives on this roster that you think have a good chance to stick with this team? Um, each one of the guys showed a little something at different moments during the the eight seeding games and during the postseason. I thought TLC really you know really showed up, and again, this was his first real playoff experience as a guy who was going to be relied upon, and so he would have games where he shot the lights out, and then when he he would have games where he really struggled with the shot. That's all a part of the process of figuring out, okay, this is playoff basketball. This is what is expected of me and the necessity of being consistent. So 
I mean, he had more moments in the postseason than Paul George has had so far. <laughs> Ooh. Yo, so, that, that's like, real. So that is really promising from such a young cat like that, right? That um, that he's just kind of showing the stones that I'm going to put shots up. And this is one thing that I learned early on, too. Um, you know, like struggling in the playoffs is not like, a, okay, um, two for 15. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, man, this dude is like, the fact that you still put up 15 shots, I know people say, dude, stop shooting. Uh. But you kind of have to be aggressive and continue to be aggressive and not be timid and just, you know, you have to continue to be aggressive. You know, timid is like, oh, man, this dude only had four attempts. Like, really? Four attempts? Like, to me, that's like shying away from the moment in the postseason. So uh, if you're two for three for 15 or whatever it may be, and they're like terrible off balance, shooting on one foot, fading out of bounds. Okay, we're having a different conversation. Yeah. But if you're getting the looks that you want and you're continuing to be aggressive and putting the shot up and things like that, like that's a part of like growth. Okay, figuring it out, figuring it out, figuring it out. So I really like that from TLC. Um, I think he's going to have a real, you know, opportunity to be, you know, um, you know, have his moments to be a contributor again. And he's going he's gonna to continue to learn and get better. I thought Chris Chioza, for a guy that, again, we didn't see a whole lot of and was on Washington at one point and got his chance, you know, um, you know, solid ball handler, good decision maker, great passer, great creator for others. Just right. continuing to work on his shot, finishing, different things like that. Um, Tyler Johnson is a guy who was dismissed from the Phoenix Suns, got an opportunity for the Nets, a guy who can heat up really quick and get buckets in a hurry. Um, he'll have an opportunity, maybe not necessarily to stick with the Nets, but he certainly has extended his career with the way that he played, he'll get picked up. Jamal Crawford, he played five minutes, bro. And it was it was a, <laughs> a highlight-filled five minutes, man. Yeah. Yep. But as a veteran guy who Kevin Durant, they, they have a lot of respect for him. And he has, he's as respected a dude as there is That's in the true. entire league, yep. given you know his longevity and the fact that he can still go out there and perform. Um, he'll have an opportunity to be one of the veterans on the bench for the next Nets next season, too. And I guess one more next question before we move on to the main event of this podcast. Uh, Jared Allen, how do you feel like he served himself in the bubble, given that, you know, he obviously had a big opportunity to assert himself down the stretch. And, you know, he's somebody who's been in some rumors about whether or not he's going to be on the team next year. Is he going to be the A center on the team, not even the center because DeAndre Jordan's contract? How do you feel like he helped helped himself down the stretch? Man, um... I, I was I was impressed with him, and I want to see him continue to grow. And one of the things that's hard to teach for a big man is is nasty. There are guys who come in the league with an attitude and a chip on their shoulder. Like Damian Lillard came in the league with a chip on his shoulder. Russell Westbrook came in the league angry. Mm-hmm. Said Cat Williams joke like, "Who's angry at breakfast?" <laughs> Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. <laughs> angry at bro- you know what I mean? Yeah. And. Big men, we kind of label them like, oh, this dude is dude soft or he's not aggressive enough or he's not this or he's not that. And to find that level of aggression and oh, be a willing battler in the paint to get position and pull down rebounds um, is something that some guys get and some guys don't. You know, just because you may block a shot here or there doesn't mean that you embrace physicality and you're this aggressive, nasty player. You have to be willing to get in there and battle, you know, fight guys, get position to pull down boards. And he had 15 rebound games the last three times, you know, the Nets were out there on the court. The last three games of the series of the Raptors, he pulled down 15 boards. Now, he needs to continue to work hard in that department. He has to continue to work on his offensive game because he really doesn't have a low post move. Um, He's a guy that works well in the pick and roll situation, great hands, great finisher, you know, works well with Karras in terms of, you know, pick, lob, Jared LeVert throws, I mean, uh, Jared Allen throws it down or a quick pass to him, and he's got a soft touch where he can finish in the paint. But in terms of shot clock winding down, he's got the ball with six seconds left, face up at the rim. What is he doing with it? Like, he doesn't have that aspect of his game just yet, and I think that would take it to an entirely different level. So in game three, he had 15 or so boards, didn't have a single field goal attempt in the game. And so I'm saying moving forward for Jared as he continues to put work in the offseason, that's not going to be a thing anymore. I want it to be a situation where the perimeter is being defended really well. You dump it in. Jared Allen has a mismatch or whatever it may be. And he has something in his repertoire, something in his bag 
to get himself a decent look. That's the next step for uh, that's the next step for Jared Allen. But really proud of him in terms of improving his physicality. Some are always looking for more sports content, and among the glut of sports media, some are looking for sports content that dives a bit deeper and doesn't just stick to sports. So check out Backpack Broadcasting's original long-form sports journalism series, Sideline Stories. The award-winning original series takes viewers directly into underrepresented communities within the world of sports. It's a series that goes beyond traditional sports reporting, like box scores and statistics, presenting exclusive stories that you won't find anywhere else. With a diverse group of correspondents, the series provides interviews and interesting stories around the world of sports, because there is so much beyond the game, and so much that occurs off the field or court that impacts each of us and the world we live in. Giving a voice to athletes, coaches, fans, and everyone involved in athletics, Sideline Stories looks to push sports storytelling further than ever before. It's a winner of the 2020 Independent Shorts Awards, and all episodes of Sideline Stories are available for viewing today on Backpack Broadcasting's YouTube channel and Facebook page. Before we move on to the, what Brian called the main event of this podcast, which we'll get to in a second, um, obviously, uh, Grady, you've been watching the playoffs. What has yeah. surprised you the most in this playoffs? You kind of made mention to uh, Paul George, you know, being MIA right now in, in, in the playoffs. 20, 29% from the field. In this yeah, season, how so. bad he shot. Um, yeah. Has there been anything else that's really surprised you in, the, in, in this playoffs yeah. so far? Look and look with P, with you know with PG it's all love, but it's it's um it's one of those things where we commentate, we give opinions. Um, all players are criticized to some degree, right? Yeah. You know, you have an off night, everybody's criticized, and um, uh, some guys take it <laughs> take it well, some guys don't. And if you don't take it well, and you make your displeasure with the opinions of your game public and known, which is your right, well, you're inviting more criticism if you continue to struggle. So if Paul struggles, the public, Twitter sphere, all that type of stuff, social media, um, we go, man, this dude is like struggling. And we put memes together, highlighting, oh, this dude is <laughs> this dude is garbage in this series so far. And then he catches wind of that and then he puts the story that says, I don't give a what you think and things like that. That doesn't call off the dogs. Right. And if you're posting that, you care. You, cle- you clearly do care. Clearly you do care. <laughs> yeah. Clearly you do. Clearly you do care. Because <laughs> you've heard it. So, right. yeah. So, so again, so it's all... Um, so when you talk like that, you invite, you know, more criticism. And as we all know, the only way to really get people off your back is to knock down some shots. Is to, you know what I mean? The only way to, like, really get people off your back is yep. to, play, you know play at a high level, execute better, and win. And then nobody else, nobody has anything to say, you know? Yeah. So Damian Lillard, I'm sure he had criticism a few years ago when the, when the Blazers got swept by the Pelicans, right? Trade rumors. Trade rumors. And he's the talk of the town right now. He shut everybody up. Yep. You yeah. know? Like, shut everybody up. And so you continue to grow. You continue to get better. You continue to, continue to work um, on your game. Paul George shooting percentage aside, I've been amazed at the shot making in this and since the restart. I've been surprised that, you know, um, some guys didn't get to a gym right away. Some guys, it took a couple months before they were able to get into a gym. They were left to their own vices in terms of working at home and different things like that and staying on top of things. Right. Before, oh, you don't show up to practice, you don't show up to this, it's a fine. You literally have an incentive to get your ass out of bed and get to the practice facility so that you can get ready, get trained, and all this other type of stuff as practice gets ready to unfold. Pandemic hits, there's no fines. There's no, like, you know, they were sending guys a bicycle. They were sending, you know, them whatever. If you need help in terms of diet and different things like that. But if a dude wanted to put on 25 pounds during quarantine, he could have put on 25 pounds during quarantine. If a dude wanted to stay out of the gym for a certain period of time, he could have stayed out of the gym for a certain period of time. So for me, seeing guys who, whoa, T.J. Warren really loves the game. Whoa, this dude really loves the game. Not to just highlight T.J. Warren, but that was a guy who clearly put in a lot of work during the hiatus, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying, to make a statement. And there are other guys that are in the same category, and it just shows me the love and the passion for the game. Another thing I'll say about T.J. Warren, not to just stay on the dude, I'm a guy that has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) That man is not, his contract is not up. He still has two years left on his deal. Mm. There are certain guys who, like, come out of nowhere and we're like, dang, this dude's really hooping. 
And then you look at his contract situation. Oh, this dude. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's trying to get paid this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That dude has two years left on his deal, and he busted his tail during the quarantine so he can make a statement during during the restart to help his to help his team. And yeah. he's just one of several guys who put in work and busted their tail. And then during the restart, I'm not seeing a whole lot of sluggish play. I'm not seeing a whole lot of dudes out of shape. I'm not seeing a whole lot of ugly games. I'm seeing I'm seeing like, whoa, okay, Luca. Okay, Dane. Okay, Dex, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, Devin Booker, you know, there was just some amazing performances. And to me, it's like, uh, these guys, like, really love the game. Who did, who did you have to win the title this year? Did you did you make uh, a pick on that? Yeah, I had the Clips. You had the had Clippers. The, yeah. how, you feel, how you feeling about that right now? Paul George is not making me feel good about that right now, <laughs> yeah, man. Um, good. I think <laughs> I think they're going to... I'm going to feel better as time goes by. They're going to have to put in a lot of work to get past the Mavericks because, mm-hmm. you know, like they're coming. Like <laughs> they are coming they here. <laughs> and they want to prove that they are here, right? Yes. So um, they're, uh, they, the Clippers are looking at them like they're up and coming and we're going to take care of business, whatever it may be. But Luka is making a hell of a, a hell of a statement right now that they've already arrived. But, I look at Montrez Harrell, who missed a lot of time, you know, the seeding games and, and was not there. And it's just like working his way back into a rhythm. We know that Montrez Harrell at his peak, his six man of the year candidate, is just an animal, right? And I don't see that same touch from him right now. The more games you play, the better you find your rhythm. And that's how that goes. Lou Williams, same kind of thing. We know what happened, chicken wings, all that type of stuff. <laughs> and you get back out there, now you got to find your rhythm, you know, all over again. And he had, he's had his moments in this series. So when those guys go in who are at the real core of what makes them special to have that kind of firepower coming off your bench, I think that they'll get going again. But Paul has to be... Better. To, he has to be the man. You know you understand what I'm saying? yeah, like, yeah. yeah. We're hard on guys because we have expectations for him. And I've, you know, known, known him since, you know, like the Indiana days. And it's a special thing to see guys, like, unlock something in their mind. It's a, it's a, a matrix analogy that I used, used to use a lot where, you know, getting to that next level, pushing through, realizing that you are that dude. And it's going to happen for, to me, it's either going to happen for Anthony Davis or it's going to happen for Paul George. You know, the other supporting cast is extremely important. But LeBron has been there. He knows what it takes to fight through. You know what you're going to get from LeBron. Anthony Davis doesn't know what it's like. He doesn't know what the Western Conference Finals are like. The shots that he has to make, the pressure all on. He doesn't know what that's like. So he's going to have an opportunity to push through. If the Lakers are going to win a championship, Anthony Davis is going to do something that he's never done before in his life. If the Clippers are going to push through, we know what Kawhi is going to give you. We know he's done it before, right? Good point. He can't do it alone. He can't do it alone. So that means Paul George is going to have to do something that he's never done before in his life. And that's what I think is cool about sports. Watching guys do something that they've never done before, pulling through and getting big time buckets when your team needs it. Because it's not just it's not just going to be the LeBron show and route to a title. And it's not just going to be the Kawhi show and route to the title. He he want LeBron wanted Anthony Davis for a reason, and Kawhi wanted Paul for a reason, and those guys have to deliver. Hey everybody, Brian Fonseca here to tell you about the multi-time award-winning series out now that is Side Hustle, which is created, executive produced, hosted, and edited by me, Brian Fonseca. Side Hustle is a sit-down interview series that taps into sacrifice, the odd avenues taken to progress closer to your ultimate dreams, and some jokes as well. Because you know, we always gotta find funny, and we always gotta find time to laugh. Side Hustle has been named to the best TV and web series category at several different film festivals, including the 2020 International New York Film Festival, the New York Movie Awards, and a host of others. Be sure to watch season one in full right now on either BrianFonseca.net or YouTube.com slash BrianFonseca. Brian with a Y, remember. All eight episodes, trailers, teasers, and promo are free to watch, and the series as a whole is approximately two hours long. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a side hustle. Be sure to watch Season 1, out now. It is time for the main event, and (laughs) Brian is ready. Now, as we get into this main event, I had texted Grady 
uh, it was a couple days ago, right, Grady? I texted you yeah. and I said, hey, we, when you, we're when you going to do this pod. We're going to talk some hip-hop as we did the last couple of times you were on here. But we're going to specifically talk about this new Nas album. And I said, so just please, before you come on, make sure you listen to it. Grady was like, yo, man, you know what it is already. I'm listening to this on the way to the arena. I was like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, was like, I was like, Grady's on it. So, uh Brian and I were pretty hyped for this album. You know, Nas fans, A Hard to Tell podcast. Everybody gets that now. Um, and nervous. And nervous. We, we, you know, we were nervous. Um, <laughs> what, were, what were your thoughts heading into this album, the announcement of this album, uh, Grady, when you heard this from Nas? And and share with what you said to us off there about the expectations yeah. that sometimes come around Nas. I thought you made this really good point that I know Brian rocks with. But what, what the expectations for this, what were your expectations for this album, King's Disease, new album from Nas? Yeah, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I just don't know of another artist who is, you know, out, you know, outside of a Drake, of course, for you know, for 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 a variety of reasons, but that's criticized as much as Nas. Like, why did he have this production, or why did he go this particular route, or this feels a little bit more commercial? This ain't Nas. We want the old Nas. Or why did he? Uh, all these different things. Why is he working with this guy? Um, no, you're right, and that's why, and that's why a lot of people see, and this is why a lot of people hate Nas fans because a lot of people hate like the Nas diehards because they feel like Nas is always getting the short end of the stick, whereas we're not as hard on comparatively Jay Z, Black Thought, whoever else we think is at that God level, MC, yeah. level, Eminem, even like they don't get the same criticisms that Nas does. You why do you think? I mean? Why do you think that is, Grady? Why do you think the? Why do you no, think that I, is? I, I think well. <laughs> One, because um, uh, he started, I, I, again... Started with this, he started with this album. That's the reason, though. He yeah. started at a height that I don't think anybody else has started at. Does I agree. No, I agree. Reasonable yeah. Doubt took some time for people to go, oh, that was a classic. You know what I mean? Um, uh Drake didn't really have a classic right away, and a lot of people say you know, still Yeah, 50 Cent's, you know, first, first, you know, with the, um, you know, once he got out with Drake first on the scene and all that type of stuff, completely different vibe, big time commercial success, that type of thing. But Illmatic struck a nerve with people on so many different levels and connected with people on so many different levels in terms of where you were in your life. His being blown away by his lyricism, being blown away by his, you know, intellect, the production value of it. I mean, it's a perfect first billing for a dude coming, you know, right out the gate. Yeah. So this is the equivalent of being drafted into the league, being, you know, averaging 35, 15, and 12. Dex, what did I say the other day? Uh, he did say this. Rookie of the year, uh, MVP, <laughs> leading your team to a championship and winning finals MVP. That's the same you know? analogy. The next, <laughs> you know, the, next, the next year you averaged 28, 14, and 10. You know what I'm saying? And, okay, you lost, in the, you lost in the first round. You know, I'm just... And then you get heavy criticism because why didn't you average 35, 15, and, and, and 12 like you did and win a championship by... I, it's just, I, 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 I think that's, that the height that he started at and the people who go to bat for him also, I think that plays a part into it too, um, that they have to defend. Well, this Nas album one is great. Then it leads to a whole battle. Man, but look, it just, I don't know. He, he's just, he's just one of been one of the more debated artists um, that, uh, that, I've, that I've seen, man, for real. No, I think you're right. I'm telling you, Brian made the same analogy. Like, literally, the same analogy. I said he got into the league, won rookie of the year, MVP, won a championship, and then people act like he hasn't been to the finals since. Where there have been other great albums in his catalog. Like, you could argue that God's Son was the album of the year in 2002. It's between that, and then it's like The Fix with Scarface, and then there's a couple other really good hip-hop ones. But that's in that conversation. He has other album of the year contenders. But this one, shit, this one, <laughs> where, <laughs> let me tell you something, because I heard, like, I was there, 12.01 a.m., I was on Spotify, I was like, I need to hear this, right, because Nas, we, we we talk about him a lot on the show, obviously, and I my expectations for this album was a good album, but 
this surpassed my expectations because when I was looking at the track list, and you don't want to judge a book by its cover, you don't want to judge an album by its track list, but in looking at the track list, there were a couple things that were like, oh, it's, hopefully Blue Benz is literal. Hopefully that's metaphorical. Uh, this Fabio Foreign you know, feature, is this going to be a drill record with him and ASAP Ferg? You know what I mean? Uh, the um, What was the other one? The Big Sean one. Like, yeah. we... I, I respect Big Sean. I like Big Sean to a point, but I'm not like the biggest Big Sean fan. I was like, this could sound good because they've had other collaborations that have worked. And then Don Tolliver's in the song. What's he going to be doing? Lil Durk, how's that going to sound? He's probably going to auto-tune. Is that going to make sense on a Nas record? Everything on the album made sense. We were we were listening to this after it came out. Dexter called me. We were talking about this album until 2.30 in the morning. Here you I are. Probably, <laughs> I probably listened to this album seven times since. And... I think as of right now, granted, there is not a lot of strong competition in this year's uh, hip hop, you know, race for album of the year. Freddie Gibbs, Alfredo, Run the Jewels, RTJ4. Uh, some people putting Logic's album up there. Some people are putting Jay Electronica's Jay Z mixtape up there. Um, <laughs> that was the best. Um, this is the best thing I've heard this year to me. And in hearing it all, I don't like, kind of like Lost Tapes 1. I don't have a skip on here, so that tells you how good it probably is comparatively. It's tight. I don't feel like there's a wasted second. It's only 38 minutes, and it's 13 songs. And I think that what this did, and Hit Boy, who executive produced the project, along with the dude named Gabriel Zardes, who I saw on the credits, um, they basically got rid of the Nas picks bad beat thing as far as this album is concerned. Yeah. There was bad beat on there. You hear the beginning of 10 points and you get a little nervous. You're like, all right. But then the beat settles in and you're, and Nas goes crazy. So, yeah. Do you, do you, how do you feel? I mean, how do you feel, uh, Mike? Cause I, I thought I was, I listened, Brian. Okay. Let me explain this for, for, so you understand this too. Brian was a little ahead of me on his listening and he's texting me and he's like, I'm not going to say, he's like, it. I'm not going to say anything. This is good. I'm listening. I'm listening. And I'm like, man, I really like this production, man. I really like this production. Like Nas is spitting. Like this is, these yeah. features work. Uh, when I finished it, I was like, man, this is, this is really good. I don't like to rush and say things are classic. I'm very guarded on that. Um, I do think this is really good though. Uh, what were your thoughts on it? On, on it? Uh, how many times do you listen to it? You listen to it a couple times at least? Uh, about four times. Okay. About, okay. About, solid. About four times. And, um, uh, I haven't done my thing though. My thing with an album is like, I like to go for a run. I, I, I'm in New York. I don't, you know, drive anything. So like, I go for a run and kind of listen to it. So I've been like listening, and then um, I might, you know, stop and go back to it or whatever. So I, I, I need my my routine rhythm session, you know, uh, listening session, which is going for a run and listening to it. So my thing with this one, I think the cohesiveness with hit boy being a part of the project certainly helps and one of the things that i as far as me as far as noticing with Nas, and i've you know i've been there since the beginning is i think he's at his best when it feels effortless yes and there are relaxed Nas records and then there are Nas records where you, you where you get a sense like he where there's an f like extra effort there and it's like it don't feel relaxed like there's something like real cool chill and like just dope when he's in a relaxed space i ain't got nothing to prove i'm about to boom, boom, you know whatever it is yeah. and so um that's when i feel like he's at his best and 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 like comfortable in his own skin whatever that may be and we get it we were just talking about paul george a moment ago like people criticize you, you may feel a certain type of way you may mm -hmm. press whatever it may be same thing happens with guys in the booth even the greats so that's when I feel like he's at his best. And I feel like this feels like a, you know, relaxed record. Even like Stillmatic, when there was a lot of pressure on Stillmatic when he was going through the beef with Jay-Z, there was still like a a, 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 a a relaxed vibe to it at the same time. Like he's in the heat of a battle with one of the, you know, the, arguably the best in the game. And, you know, Jay's got the, you know, five mic album. And then Nas like, okay. You know, it didn't it didn't feel like there was um, anxiety with you right. know, with the whole thing and with the project. So um, you mentioned Godson. I felt like Godson was that way. Um, yeah. I really liked I really like life is good. Um, yep. There was there was some. Uh, so I felt like this was one of those efforts.
because the Kanye thing, I think there were a lot of like high expectations or whatnot, you know, and they had a, you know, they had a collab before. Was that on, was that on Godson? It was on Hip Hop yeah. is Dead. They had Still Dreaming and, and Let There Be Light. Oh. Kanye produced those. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I love the hell out of that record. Right. Yeah. And so you hear, oh, they're going to be working together. And it's like, oh, okay. Okay. Cause that was like, and again, you listen to Nas's voice on that, you know, Still Dreaming. Smooth. Yeah. Just, yeah. Flow, just right? flowing. Yeah. Flow. And it just worked, worked magically. And, and, um, I didn't get that same vibe with the Kanye. Agreed. Uh, with, yeah, yeah no. but I, I, my expectations weren't high for that because I know the space Kanye's in, right? <laughs> and I'm, just, and I'm just like, yo, I just like, I don't care if it's with Nas, whoever. But you know, another thing I was thinking about, um, and Dex, we haven't talked about this, but another thing I was thinking about while I was listening to this was that we've never seen this before. And what I mean by that is, like, the Rolling Stones and John, like, they have all the legacy acts in, like, rock, for example, U2, et cetera, et cetera, and in hip hop. This is still kind of new. Hip hop started uh, 1979, so you're talking about 41 years ago, or 51 years ago. Yeah. What's the math? 41 years. Ago, 41 right? years. 41 years ago. We're not, you know, graduated bachelors, not in math. Um, what's it called? <laughs> so, 41 years ago, and then Illmatic comes out 15 years later, and then Nas is still still in shape. Basically, he's still. When he decides to put out a record and focus on the record, he still proves that he's one of the best doing it like actively right now. And we've never seen it over that stretch because like Big Daddy Kane faded, Rakim faded, KRS one at some point, though he had a longer run than those guys, faded. A lot of guys faded. It's just Nas and then there's like Jay, who hasn't been quite as long because although Hawaiian Sophie was in the eighties, like Reasonable Doubt wasn't until nineteen ninety six. So this is still new. And we've literally never seen this in hip-hop before. So I guess, like, I don't know. What do you guys think about that when and putting it into perspective? Because now you could look at their careers a little bit differently as Jay-Z is, like, on the other side of 50, and now it's going to be 50 in a few years. I I think, I think, I'm sure Grady's going to agree with me on this, but I think for people like us, we've been, like, rocking with Nas and Jay from the beginning. Um, this is great to see. You hoped at that time, maybe we, we couldn't even foresee it, that hip-hop, to take the big line would take it this far, right? Like we didn't even know that that was possible. And I think to see it and see these acts and Grady, I don't know about you. I've, I've seen Nas and Jay in recent years, both perform live and to still see them perform at a high level. It's just like, wow, it's great. But to, to see that they can still, I think for me, what's more important, Brian is that they're able to produce albums that speak to them and where they are as men in their life. Um, and not necessarily, you know, you see the growth. They've, they've evolved since young men and, and what they're rapping about now and the things they're rapping about now. And, and, and I think that's the dopest thing for me to see is that they're still here and still doing this, like you said, at a high level. But it's the subject matter and the ability to perform, I think, that really, uh, really impresses me and it makes me happy as a hip hop fan. I don't know how you feel about that, Grady, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really important as the game evolves to be comfortable in your own skin and who you are and not try to be something you're not. So if if Nas wants to do some, like, mumble rap record, bruh, like, <laughs> be who you are and who you are in your life because there is, I think, part of the essence of hip-hop is, is um, like the youth movement and the rebel movement and us against the world. And so young people are still going to have whatever generation it is, a big say so in what's hot, what, what is getting, I was getting ready to go back in the old day was flying off the shelf, not flying <laughs> off the shelves anymore. <laughs> you know, what we're streaming and what you listen to, like the young folks are going to have a big time, you know, a big time saying that. So what if you're on the outside of what the hot lingo is, the hot style is, all that type of stuff? What if you're on the outside? Do you look at that and go, how can I tap into that too? How can I, should I, should I change my lyricism a little bit? Should I change my style? Should I whatever? Nah, do you. Do you. Have your voice, your experiences, like you said, all that type of stuff your style and continue to evolve, not necessarily influenced by what everybody else is doing. I heard Lil Wayne say, he don't, he don't listen to anybody. He don't listen to nobody. Hmm. I wouldn't go that far. Right. I wouldn't really go that I far. I get it though. I understand it. Yeah. You want to understand, you want to understand what's happening, but you can't let it have like a big influence on you. And so staying true to who you are 
You know what I'm saying? I think it makes you be able to sleep at night. It makes your audience continue to click and understand you. And we're all going to evolve, you know, at the same time. These artists and things like that, guys, will evolve. I'm just talking strictly about where you are influenced. And so when I say it, when I bring up, you know, Kanye, who had a great run, and I feel like insecurity with what Drake was doing versus what he was doing kind of pushed him in a completely different direction with yeah. his music where it turned real bitter as opposed to the lane that we're used to seeing a Kanye West in. Whether people love or hate Drake or not, Drake is staying true to who he is and it's working for him. If there's an underground dude and he feels like I should be commercial, man, don't do that commercial stuff. If that's not you. You know, right. don't stay, stay in your, stay in your lane. Do you, you know what I'm saying? So, we talked, you know, we talked about Freddie Gibbs and, you know, the first time that I was on it, you was talking about him. I thought he's had two great showings in, tw in 2020. And I feel like he's finding his voice and finding his lane, not trying to be somebody that he's not. And if you're going to attention, get a good attention, that's just going to come with the territory. So to Brian's point about like evolution and we haven't seen it in, you know, we haven't seen it necessarily in hip hop. We have to be okay if certain artists that we love become more niche than anything. Like, it's okay if the artists that we love, as they get older, you know, 17-year-old is not bumping his head to it. Because we're, we're literally turning into the old heads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, you know, Steve, Steve, one of my favorite things was Steve Harvey on Kings of Comedy when he's talking about old school music. Yep. And he's like, all y'all young people, y'all, this old school, whatever, 74 Yo, this was my music, and he goes through and plays all these like amazing like classic records. And then I'm, we're all young at the time. We're like, bruh. But we we, we now hear now some, that oh, now we that per that with that person. We like, man, lyricism ain't what it used to be. Yep. <laughs> Nas was doing this, and man, you guys need to listen. To <laughs> it doesn't matter the genre. The same thing is gonna happen. It's always gonna happen, and the thing is, you know what the thing is, and, and because Brian's younger, younger than us, I, I'm not, I'm not mad at the kids with the mumble rap. I'm not even that that person. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, do I think it's the same? No, I don't. But I'm not mad at what the kids are mumble doing. Rap like, is, mumble rap is under my age. Yeah, like, they're gonna. The kids got to do what they got to do, and then you know they're gonna grow up like Grady's saying. At some point, they're gonna look back and be like, "Y'all wasn't even doing this mumble rap. Like, what are y'all listening to?" That's just. <laughs> I know that's crazy to think about, but like that's what's gonna happen. Like that's literally yeah. what's gonna happen. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm glad Brian brought up that point because it's good. Do you have a favorite track on this album, uh, Grady? That that's something that really just jumped out to you in the first listen, first couple um, listen. Like so, you know, I'm really into photography, right? And so I'm 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 working on this project with my um, fiance, and we're gonna do a lot of like vintage um like vintage shoots and i'm like reminded of my style of the style of my great-grandfather and how cool he was my great-grandmother and so we'll be incorporating a little bit of that into this project and um one of the things that struck us as we were kind of doing some research is to put on if bill street could talk and so we we put that on and just an amazing movie heartbreaking movie still relevant you know um comes from the james baldwin book and uh, the style in it is so great, but the but the theme, like the music that plays throughout the movie, is the sample that Nas and Hitboy used on. Um, oh, I'm spacing on the name of the track right now. Let me pull. Let me pull it up. Um, it's not the last track, The Cure, right? Is it? Is no, it the it's the one with Lil Durk. It's the one with Lil Durk. Oh, okay. So yeah, till the war is won. So the so the. Yeah, man, it's 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 dope. It's heartbreaking. It's on my list of things to watch on Hulu. I've yet to get to it, but yeah, I'm going yeah. to get to it. Yeah, y'all got to y'all got to check it out. And the music will hit you right away. It's you know, it's a it's a it's a it's an amazing film, and again, still relevant. But the the music throughout throughout that film, you know, was the you know the sample that they used, and I even used it in a. I was going out to protest and getting video and pictures and stuff like that, and I put a video that's on my Instagram. I used the same song. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, that's right. So yeah. That's the song. That's the music, and that plays throughout this movie. And then kudos to them, man, because there. When you've seen the movie, and the images in the movie, you know what I'm saying, and the melanin in the movie, all that that music, it just blends so well. And that's a Nas. You know what I'm saying? Like add drums to it. That's a Nas record. So um, you know, lyrically there were harder things, and there, there was some other great moments. You know, I like 27 Summers. 
nostalgia, nostalgia wise, man, it really did something to me to hear AZ again. Yeah, man. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that like really did something to me because I, I, I think I told you the first time that I was on with you guys that even as an announcer and as someone who speaks and different things like that, hip hop, you know, helped me in that regard. When we talk like mumble rapping. If I came up in this mumble rapping age, bro, I don't know if I'd be on radio, <laughs> anything, man. <laughs> But, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't be where I'm at at all if I was coming up in this era. I came up in the era where you actually had to listen to these dudes. You know how we do, like, tongue twisters and broadcasts and stuff like that. And I said it to you the first time I was on, you know, know, visualizing the realism of life and actuality. You know, like, that whole thing, reciting that on pace, like, off the top of your dome. So on one hand, you got memorization. On the other hand, you got the linguistics that these guys are saying. How can you not be a better speaker? You know what I'm saying? How can you not be a better, you know, orator when you have these type of tongue twisters and things like that or memorizing things? If I'm memorizing stats and I can memorize whole albums and stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, that that uh, that full circle was like, you know, another uh, uh, dope track. And that means a lot, man, because. I haven't heard Foxy in, in, a, in, a, in a minute, man. I haven't heard her in a minute. Man. Yeah. So, no, no, no. I was, I was feeling that track. I know we, we almost out of time. We got to get you out of here. I would like to let people know because you brought it up, uh, Grady. Grady is dope with the photography, guys, for people who don't know out there. Uh, check his stuff out. Um, we did a shoot. That's why we linked up. I saw Grady yeah. during the pandemic. Um, I did a shoot with Grady and we chopped it up that day. Had a, had a good time. But like, yo, check his photography out, man. How has that helped you during this time? I want to ask you, I want you to talk a little about your photography. You know, I feel like we all have other creative outlets. I've talked to Brian about some stuff he's working on. You saw some things I worked on during this time, some stories I've worked on, right? But And you have this other creative outlet outside of what people see you normally doing. Um, how helpful has that been for you as, as well in, in this COVID-19 times? Man, it it, it, uh, it keeps me sane, and I, I I told you guys this too, man. I appreciate you guys because you know we're we're all comfortable wearing different hats, and that's kind of like all we know. So we're gonna hustle, we're gonna do our thing. That's one of the things that drew me to New York because it's you know it's a lot of people who are just hustling. And oh man, you do music, yeah, but I also write and I also do this and I also do that. It's just you know a way of life for a lot of cats, and I've always appreciated that. And that was you know that that's been. Me, so photography is something that you know I've always loved, and if I if I wasn't able to find ways to do it, man, I'd go crazy just talking sports twenty four seven, man. So I need that I need that balance in my life, People you know. Don't get that, and I made yeah, the, yeah I, I made the decision, Brian. Like um, you know, a, a famous photographer who I really admire died, and I put a post out that said, man, if I wasn't doing sports, I would be doing this, man. I would be I would have a camera and I'd be out shooting. And then it wasn't long after that that I said, why am I not, why am I not shooting? Hmm. From that point on, like when I had downtime, I just got a, got my camera and just went out and just went out and started to make it happen. And through that, you know, I, I, I had a ton of photo shoots, worked with a ton of models. I met my fiance that way. Um, and now we're working on a project, you know, together. And so during this COVID, People are finding their voice in different ways, obviously. We talked about that, Dex. People are finding their voice in different ways. Their 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 tone on social media may be different than what it was, you know, pre-pandemic and of course pre-George George Floyd is what I'm really getting to. Um, their tone on social media, the how how they communicate with others, their openness, all this stuff is completely different. And then for me it was you know, the photography was my poetry. The, the the photography was part, you know, of my voice. And so the first time that I left my apartment was when I went to a uh, a protest, first in Jersey City, then in Manhattan, then in Brooklyn, and, you know, marching with people, taking images of the situation because we're living in history right now. Like it, um, it certainly helped me as far as my balance. It helped me in terms of finding my voice. And um, I just got to keep that. I just got to. I got to keep it going, or else I'm a self-destruct for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I get it. I remember there's something uh, before we close. There's something you had said to me that time we met up. You said that you know we all have our sort of our part in this movement, right? To to use yeah. to use our art to do it, and that really like struck with me and like inspired me more to be like, okay, yeah, I got to do more of what I'm doing in terms of storytelling, or you know, sharing that with Brian and what he's doing. And you got to keep doing what you're doing too, because there's just different ways. 
that we affect people through what we create um, and what gives us, like you said, our sanity, right? To to release and, and create out there. So it's, it's, it's always good. Kind of like Nas did with this album to bring it back full circle, right? Like he he put this out there and, uh, you know, everybody's everybody's now enjoying it. So it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Man, we got to thank you. Uh, your third time on. We are always happy to talk sports and hip hop, of course, with you. Um, we, do, we we love you. We love you, man. We, we appreciate you coming on. So thank you for being a third time guest here on a hotel podcast. Man, all, all, all love, man. And, and hoping that we can all connect again and, and do this in a studio or over drinks one day real soon. Get back to normal for real. Oh, oh you, for real. Oh, you know what I thought? Of? I'll say this before I'm out. Cause the a couple of times me and Grady met up, we met up at a spot that Nas shouted out on the album. Sweet chick. Did you hear his line Sweet about chick. sweet chick with the raspberry butter? You know, Grady and I, we love Grady and I love sweet chick. So, yes, sir. Yes, oh, sir. Oh, always good. I'm going there when this pandemic is over because I was meaning to go right before everything shut down. You remember this? Yeah, you were. You haven't been yet, right? You haven't been, spring. Brian. You haven't been yet, right? No, I. Oh, you gotta go. You gotta yeah. go. You gotta I've go. Also, I've also been trying to be healthy, so I'm like saving that for a time where, like, you know, the no, will call for. Look, but, the t- Grady. The time we hung out, we ate kind of healthy, right? We we still ate kind of healthy. We didn't. We didn't. You we had didn't. Like, Vegan, you had like a vegan sort of meal. Or yeah, something like, like great. You did a vegan meal there, right? Yeah, or something? yeah. yeah. So they, have, uh, so they have um, uh, uh, vegan chicken. Vegan chicken. So, so yeah. So it's like chicken and waffles, but then they have a vegan chicken option for people who don't eat meat. Yep. And it's like there are other places that do vegan chicken. That's like by far the best. That's like the best spot. So it's dope. It's, yeah, I'd, no, I'd, I'd recommend it. Trying it. Yeah, man. Yeah, you got to try it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, I, I, another time I went with one of my other friends after I hung out with Grady and went there, and then it was I had it, and it was like, yeah, this is I can rock with it. It's it's good. Yeah. All right, if you, enough enough of the vegan chicken. That's it for episode one forty three of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Special thanks to our guest Michael Grady of the Yes Network for Brian Fonseca. I'm Dexter sure. Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace. <laughs>